Connecticut Democrats, or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Welcome back, folks. It's 2021. We're here with all new episodes of Connecticrats, the CT Democrats podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Cerulli, president of the College Democrats of Connecticut. I'm Dave Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party. So, you know, Dave and I, we thought at the end of 2020, you know, let's take a few weeks off. What could possibly happen between our last episode of 2020 and our first episode of this year? And boy, how wrong we were, Dave. Uh, I've got one for you. There was a, a criminal insurrection at the United States Capitol. Didn't see that coming. There it was. Didn't see that either. And several of my uh, college student friends are now millionaires because of some really strange happenings in our stock market. Here, you know, I'm out here playing the lottery like like uh, like a dumb guy. Instead, who knew? Who knew? GameStop and AMC theaters. Go figure. So that's the year 2021 is starting off to be. All right, we'll roll with it. It's also a municipal election year. And those elections are super, super important. And as the year goes on, we're going to be bringing you uh, some new candidates and talking to some existing local officials. Yep. And in that vein, I had a great conversation this week with someone who I've had the pleasure of knowing for a bit and uh, spoke to this week, Mayor Luke Bronin of the great capital city of Hartford. I spoke with uh, Veronica DeLandro. That's a name that's probably new to you unless you're from New Britain. Uh, She is exploring a run for mayor of that city. She's worked with Johanna Hayes. She has worked in the nonprofit sector for quite a while. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, potential candidate. And we'll, 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 we'll hear from her. So this week, we've got one potential mayor and one current mayor for you. And coming up next is my interview, which I think you guys are really going to like, with Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin. And we are proud to welcome to the podcast someone we've been looking to have on for a while. Uh, And finally, this uh, first episode of the year, we're welcoming Mayor Luke Bronin of Hartford, Connecticut. Mayor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. It's great to have you. Um, You know, like I said just now, we've been looking to have you on for a while, um, and I, I realize as I say that uh, some of our viewers around the state might not uh, know exactly who you are. Uh, they might know you're the mayor of Hartford, but they might not know uh, Luke the person. So tell us a bit about how you came to run for mayor, a bit of your background, um, and what drives you to public service. Sure. Well, it was sort of a, a haphazard road. Um, you know, I before I was mayor, I was uh, in public service. Uh, at both the state and the federal level. Uh, Immediately before I ran for mayor, I was the general counsel, so the chief legal counsel to the governor, then Governor Dan Malloy. And uh, before that, I was in the Obama administration. So I was there uh, for the first four years of Obama's uh, tenure. I was at the Treasury Department, first working on the response to the financial crisis. And Mm -hmm. I was that uh, developed the the Wall Street Reform Act, the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, and some of the other uh, crisis response measures. Um, I then, I left briefly, I had a deploy, I was a reservist and I did a deployment to Afghanistan. And then when I came back, I shifted over to the international side and uh, ran an office that was focused on counter-terrorist financing, anti-money laundering, and sanctions. At the time, a lot of it was about turning up the heat on Iran to drive them to the negotiating table. Uh, so, you know, I'd had the chance to work at both the state and federal level, uh, and I and I love both those. But uh, in 2015 or in the lead up to 2015, I just started to see a bunch of things in Hartford that were frustrating me. And, uh, you know, my uh, wife and I, uh, we got uh, three little kids. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Hartford is our home by choice. And 
I, I always believed in this city. And so when I saw some things that I just thought were, were some mistakes for the city, I decided to uh, do what was kind of an unlikely, uh, uh, take an unlikely path at the time and, and jump into what seemed like a long shot mayor's race. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned some problems that you saw in the city. You decided to go in and try to fix those problems. I would say that's typically what a good leader does. They, they see something wrong, they go and try to fix it. Uh, other people uh, who see problems in places uh, decide to vent their grievances uh, in, in the op-ed section of the Wall Street Journal. So recently, <laughs> for, those that don't, <laughs> for, for those that don't know, there was a, a bit of a controversy about Hartford. Um, the former Republican nominee for governor uh, decided that it would be a good idea to launch his 2022 campaign with a very negative uh, op-ed towards your city. Um, he outlined a few things that I think you and I would both agree are like real problems, um, but on the solution end uh, sort of came up short. So when you read that and when you saw sort of the dialogue taking place in the past few weeks about Hartford, um, your hometown, what, what was sort of your thoughts on that? And do you have something to add on, on, the, on, the, on what he said? Well, look, I, I mean, it was obviously so disappointing to see that the Wall Street Journal chose to run an op-ed that was clearly so uh, politically motivated, but also, I think, just devoid of, uh, of fact and devoid of solution. I mean, look, let's remember, Bob Stefanowski is the guy who, who built his campaign for governor on a single slogan of eliminating the state's income tax, which produces more than 40% of the state's revenue. And, you know, aside from his history of payday loan sharking, uh, that he lost because he could never explain to voters why his campaign central idea was not totally irresponsible and fanciful. So I don't think we should treat Bob Stefanowski as, you know, particularly serious when it comes to policy, public policy. But, um, but nonetheless, look, there, there's, uh, it is absolutely right that Hartford, like so many other cities in America, faces enormous challenges. They are real and they are deep. I mean, you know, Hartford is one of the poorest cities in the country. Uh, our, our community is nearly 85% black and brown. Uh, this city was hit hard uh, by the economic shifts and demographic shifts in the later part of the 20th century, hard by uh, the, the war on drugs, hit hard by the Great Recession. Uh, it's also been hit hard by the fact that Connecticut only lets local governor, government raise revenue on the property mm -hmm. tax uh, when half the property in the city is non-taxable. Um, so there are real challenges. And then the other piece is that right now, uh, for many people, it really does feel like a time of true crisis, right? I mean, this pandemic has devastated small businesses. Uh, so many residents have lost their jobs. Families are struggling to buy food or, or pay rent. Um, and kids have become more disengaged from school. So the challenges we face, which are not unique to Hartford, but are profound in Hartford, are real and um and I welcome a serious conversation about how you deal with those. Unfortunately, you know, Stefanowski's uh, only ideas, which he really he only gave, you know, a couple of words to, um, were, were, were just silly. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you I, I don't want to talk forever here. I'm happy to talk, right. go, go in detail on them if you want. Uh, but the bottom one of the, the bottom line is that uh, Connecticut has a, a deep disparity when it comes to the funding of local government. And it's because of our over-reliance on the property tax. And so if you want to talk about structural solutions, you do have to talk about the property tax. Uh, you'd have to talk about the fact that our communities are among the most socioeconomically and racially uh, segregated in the country. Uh, and 
those things uh, combined mean that you have what what the now don't don't listen to me what the Boston Fed uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Boston identifies as a huge gap between the needs in a community like Hartford and the resources that the tax base in a city like Hartford uh, can can uh, can bring to bear. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about having a serious conversation about this, and I think we should uh, definitely have that. Um, there are a lot of people right now who are talking with COVID and with um, the general sort of trends of people moving out of larger cities towards suburbs and mid-sized cities that mid-sized cities like Hartford are well positioned to, if they make the right policy choices, capitalize, you know, after COVID, uh, you know, period of time from a mayor's perspective, from, from that office that you sit in, um, what do you see as the, the kind of top line things that you need to do over the next year or two in order to position Hartford? I know that's a big question, but um, maybe if you could give it a couple top lines on, you know, what needs to be done to make Hartford a good post-COVID city. So I, I say a couple of things. First, I think our priority uh, as a city, a state, and I hope as a nation has has got to be helping people to recover uh, because this pandemic has been so devastating to so many families. Mm-hmm. It's we've we've got to get not just get kids in school, but help kids catch up again, re-engage kids who have been disengaged and disconnected in a. a uh, in an incredibly damaging way. Uh, you know, we, we've got to uh, make sure that uh, we are uh, preparing for what could be a really serious housing crisis as eviction protections roll off. So there's a lot of basic needs that we still need to make sure are met, not just in Hartford, not just in cities like Hartford, but across the state, across the country. So I think that's got to be number one. But looking beyond that, uh, you know, the truth is, and this is one of the other things that was frustrating about, uh, you know, Stefanowski's attack, is that coming into last year, coming into 2020, this city had an energy and a momentum that we haven't Mm -hmm. seen for decades. Uh, You know, you had... uh, tens of thousands of people rediscovering their capital city, whether it was at Yard Goat Games or Hartford Athletic Games or at the unbelievable theaters that we have or the restaurants or, uh, you know, in the, the music venues on and on. And you felt a vitality and an energy that, uh, that again, the city had been striving for a long time and it had finally started to really build. You also, for the first time in a long time, saw businesses choosing to move in instead of moving out. You had companies like Stanley Black & Decker making downtown Hartford the home of their innovation effort, their manufacturing 4.0, there's a next generation uh, manufacturing work. You had companies like Infosys deciding to make Hartford an innovation hub. Um, You had insurance companies that had moved out the suburbs deciding (laughs) to come back in. Those are significant changes. You also had um, residential development happening for the first time in in decades. Uh, And so all of those things, I think, had Hartford poised to really break through some of the barriers that we'd been struggling against for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the way I, I say it is, look, we we fought hard to get from the, the two yard line just over the 50, uh, you know, a lot of <laughs> tough, tough ground game, you know, tough ground game and just uh, moving our way up the field. And then with COVID, you know, we get sacked 30 yards back, but you just got to <laughs> get up and keep playing. And, and I think yeah. that's, that's the game. Cause I, I guess all that is to say that the pieces of our strategy were in place before, and we've got to get back to pushing them. Uh, and that's the combination of creating the residential density uh, that, uh, that the city needs, creating uh, the environment that brings business back, and then really emphasizing the cultural vitality and vibrancy of the city. Uh, so those are the things that we're going to keep pushing. And I think if we do that, 
there really is an opportunity for Hartford and cities like Hartford because people are reassessing what kind of life they want to live during COVID. There's a lot of people right. who aren't just, it's not just families who are moving out of New York City and buying you know, a big house with a big yard in Fairfield County. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other folks who are saying, do I really want to pay, pay a fortune to live in a shoebox in Boston, <laughs> New York? Right? And I think a lot of younger people who may also be saying, a, they see a different value in being close to family right now. I think this pandemic has reordered a lot of people's priorities. So to me, there's huge opportunity in that, but we've got we've to get, get back to pushing on those things that had us moving in the right direction. We now shoot things over to Dave for his conversation with potential mayoral candidate, Veronica Delandro. With the big 2020 election behind us, an equally big 2021 municipal cycle is upon us here in Connecticut. And a lot of times that means some new faces for uh, political observers around the state. Uh, in New Britain, Veronica DeLandro is a name you may not have heard if you're outside of New Britain, but in the city of New Britain. She's well known and she joins us here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, David. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. So uh, for the sake of listeners who, who aren't from New Britain, um, what, give us some background on your work in the city and uh, even your work uh, across the state in politics and in nonprofit. And, and where, where, how did you get to this point? Well, first off, I'm a mom, a wife, a community leader, volunteer. Uh, my work here in New Britain really is based on commun is community involved. Uh, I've served on a number of boards and commissions. I was appointed to the Youth and Family Services Commission here in New Britain about 10 years ago, and I currently serve on the board of director for the YWCA and co-chair the policy committee. Um, I actually, I also, you know, seeing this, the world that we're in now, especially with COVID, and especially with food insecurities, have been volunteering with the food share mobile that we have a couple of places here in New Britain uh, for within the last year. Um, so those are some of the things that I've done specifically in New Britain, but I'm also politically engaged and involved. Um, I'm, I do not serve in an elected position. However, I did uh, back in 2017, I ran for city council and I narrowly lost. However, I was uh, appointed by the city council to serve as the clerk of committees. And with that, and with it being Black History Month, um, I was the first Black and first woman to serve in that role um, as clerk of committee. So I I'd had that role for um, a little bit. And so there's just been a number of things that have been really been uh, happening in New Britain where my engagement and involvement has been focused on the politics, if you will. Uh, because it impacts the community. And this is community where I'm raising my children. So I'm absolutely not only interested, but I'm taking action and being involved in what's happening. And I, I do know you worked, uh, to say you worked with Johanna Hayes is a bit of an understatement. Uh, you were district <laughs> director for Johanna Hayes. Yes, so back in 2018, I was um, have the honor and privilege of being uh, appointed to serve as the district director for uh, Congresswoman Johanna Hayes. That was a great opportunity to spearhead her district office in Waterbury, uh, where we met, you know, 41 cities and towns that make up the 5th Congressional District, working with municipal leaders, working with those in the community, working with residents and constituents to, all, you know, provide any assistance that the office, office could, could handle on a federal level. 
Uh, so that was a great rewarding experience. Yeah, one thing uh, Johanna needs to deal with along with all of our federal representatives is some bipartisan opposition and some Republican <laughs> obstructionism. And unfortunately that's something you also know a little bit about. Oh. Um, Mr. Landro came to my attention for the first time when I read about uh, uh, what happened recently in New Britain. So let me give a little quick background. Uh, there are a lot of freshman legislators who are Democrats in uh, Hartford, and one of them is uh, Manny Sanchez. And so Manny Sanchez is now serving in the state legislature, but he was on the Common Council in New Britain. That opened up a seat, and that seat was to be filled by appointment. My understanding is, and you can, you can uh, correct me a little bit, but pretty much every democratic organization and official said, you know who should fill that seat? <laughs> pretty much everyone, pretty much. Raps, including the, the new state senator, the state reps, et cetera, et cetera, uh, pretty much down the board. And so when it came time to appoint someone to fill that democratic seat with a Democrat and all the Democrats said, this is the Democrat who should fill that seat, they said, no. no. <laughs> so uh, that's my understanding of the story that got me a little, uh, uh, my curiosity peaked about you. But uh, uh, tell me, uh, you know, from your point of view, what happened there and uh, why are they so afraid of you? Well, what happened, as you shared, that uh, Manny Sanchez won his seat in November, state representative seat. So he's actually my state representative now. Um, and in, in him winning that seat, he stepped down from the Common Council. Uh, the makeup of the Common Council here in New Britain, 15 people serve on the council. Uh, currently, the makeup of the council, there are nine um, white people. There are five Hispanics and one black, uh, black male. There are a total of 13 men and two women that make up the Common Council. So again, this is sort of, you know, not a direct reflection of the city, obviously. But what was important was when filling that seat, you know, this was a seat voted on by the people, the people who um, voted for this seat in 2019. Manny received the highest uh, votes of all the at-large of, of at candidates. And what happened, unfortunately, was that the will of the people was ignored. What happened was that the majority leader who is technically registered as a Democrat took it upon himself to create a process by which I was then prevented the opportunity to fill a vacant seat. Um, I am a Democrat, I am registered and I'm over the age of 18. And so th the qualifications were merely that. Um, it did not require a resume or cover letter, which was the process that he added on to it to allow others the opportunity. Uh, but at the end of the day, they wound, wound up selecting a former council member, a former city employee and someone who went on record saying that they, he would vote inside along with the Republicans. And that's to me, that's the disservice to the people in the city, uh, to the disservice to those who voted for that seat. And I think those, those tactics are those that we have to, those, that's, we have to get away from doing politics like that. And so doing something because someone did it so many years ago, doesn't make it any better. We can't continue the cycle of, uh, wanting to do things because we can or because we have the numbers. When people call both in the December and January meetings to over two hours worth of public participation, voicing their cares and voicing their, their, their favor for me to fill the seat. Not one person said, you know what? I, even though everyone else says she should fill it, I don't think she should. No, not one person said that. The only, pers the only people who did that were the eight Republicans on the council. 
So you have the eight Republicans who said no compared to everyone else in the city that said yes. So that's a problem that people are not being listened to. So um, this is a sort of familiar story to those of us who follow Washington politics, but it happens in your municipalities as well. And um, uh, this is, again, I read that and, you know, I'm not from New Britain. I don't have a particular horse in that race, but man, that really bugged me. So I was pretty happy a few days later when another story ran. Uh, you formed an exploratory committee, right? I did. I did. It was something that was on my heart. It was, uh, I had a conversation with my family in a very close circle during, you know, um, last year, part of last year and early this year, uh, but wanted to first get through the council seat to see what, what was going to take place. And unfortunately, we kind of knew that it wouldn't go in our favor mm. uh, in terms of the Democrats being able to secure with an actual Democrat that would caucus with the Democrats and not caucus with the Republicans. But um, nonetheless, I knew I still needed to figure out what my next steps would be. And I thought long and hard. And just looking at the direction of where the city is currently, and even just within the past year, um, I call it the four C's, in which things where leadership did not handle things properly, how leadership, how they, how leadership handled COVID, how leadership handled the Columbus statue, how leadership handled the civilian review board, and how leadership handled the council seat. Well, ultimately, it's the decision of the, the council, and they, they had the numbers and they voted for who they wanted to, but I still think leadership plays such a big role in how all of this, how all of this played out. And I think that's what we need to, what the city needs is leadership that will listen. They need leadership that will pay attention and hear them out. We can agree to disagree without being disagreeable, but at least listen to the people instead of people being talked to and told what they can and can't do. And so that for me is why I made the decision to form an exploratory committee because I said, we have to do away with doing politics uh, same, the, the way it was done before with the same people doing it the same way, but it only benefits certain people. It doesn't benefit all people. We have a city of 70,000 people that is multicultural, multi-ethnic, and, and, and again, just the demographics of the board, the council alone shows you that we have a ways to go in terms of representation. Representation matters and it's important, but it it doesn't matter if if people can't see themselves in how in what they look like in their views and their expressions, um, in leadership government, then that's how you get people to. That's why people are disengaged. And I think it's not we we want people to be engaged, but there are people who benefit from those being disengaged. New Britain is, I believe, the city with the sort of largest Democratic uh, enrollment that has a Republican mayor first selectman right now. So this is uh, a, a, a top race. It's going to be a heck of a year. Um, municipal races are so critically important. If, if listeners come away with one thing, yes, you know, defeating Donald Trump and yes, you know, holding the House and flipping the Senate, enormously important. Mm-hmm. But so are mayoral and first selectman races, your board of ed races, your, your common council and city council races. Those are so, so critical. And those will be coming up later this year. So to be clear, you're not a candidate for mayor yet. You're not ha- your hat Correct. isn't in the ring, but your hat is in your hand. Is that fair? Yes, that's absolutely fair. All yes. right. Very good. Veronica Delandro is uh, exploring a run for mayor of New Britain. And on this very, very snowy day, she took some time out to talk to us uh, here on Connecticut, the CT Dems podcast. Thank you very much for joining us.
thank you so much, David. I just want to give a shout out to my son who's celebrating his birthday snowed in. <laughs> oh, I'm stuck inside. I'm, yes. I'm pulled away from school. And then on top of it all. And then he oh, lost yeah. his tooth. And so I think he's just, you know, he's so now he's getting more money on top of birthday money. I think he had this all planned. <laughs> that's right. That's good timing, actually. That's that's thinking. All right, very good. Right, thank you. We now return to Michael Cerulli's talk with Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin. I remember during the campaign there were some comments made about how um, people were really excited about this uh, Rhodes Scholar, Ivy League educated, former Navy Reservist, young mayor, and. And I said, who, Luke Bronin? They said, no, 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 Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so there are some similarities between you and the, and the new Secretary of Transportation. Um, and certainly you have experience uh, at the federal level working on relief packages. What are you expecting in terms of uh, federal relief uh, for Hartford and for Connecticut? And how is that going to play a role in the sort of recovery plan for your city? Well, I think we know that so much of that depends on what happens in the Senate. And right. <laughs> obviously, it's it's good to see the gavel change hands uh, and uh, no longer have to refer to uh, the leader, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, Senate President McConnell. But, um, you know, I, I hope that we're able to push things through that need to be pushed through in the Senate. And if we can, then I think that there is enormous reason to, to think that this is an administration that is ready and willing to make serious investments in infrastructure and in economic recovery. You saw in the plan that the president put out uh, a real commitment to getting assistance to state and local governments, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of assistance that really wasn't there the first time uh, around, or at least wasn't flexible enough the first time around. Uh, we haven't yet seen the infrastructure proposals that the administration is going to put out, but every indication is that they are serious about infrastructure. And uh, I hope that uh, that they're able to get a serious infrastructure package through because I think America desperately needs it. We have a transportation secretary who's been a longtime advocate uh, for infrastructure investment and also one who understands the value of unlocking the economic potential of, of mm -hmm of mid-sized cities, of mid and smaller sized cities. So to me, one of the biggest opportunities there, and I am kind of making this one of my personal missions uh, in the year ahead, is to really push hard for something that we should have already had decades ago, which is high-speed rail. Uh, yes. President Biden has said that he wants to see the second great railroad revolution. We know he <laughs> loves to ride the rails. Um, but to me, one of the key features of any infrastructure plan should be a regional high-speed rail network that connects New York to Boston quickly and that connects in all of the mid-sized cities in New England. And if you do mm -hmm. that, I think that is transformative for the region. I also think it's really powerful for the whole country. Uh, and there's a group that's been doing some really good work on that and putting a plan together. And the estimate is that for about 5% of a $2 trillion infrastructure plan, you could truly connect and create an economically integrated region in this part of the country that's got you know more than 10 percent of the country's population so yeah. I, I think that that is something that i plan to push hard uh and i'm working to build a coalition of state and local leaders around new england uh to to push alongside yeah i'll say that you know as a, as a younger person and a college student I mean, a lot of people wouldn't think of college students as sort of the advocates for what's considered to be an older mode of transportation with trains. But I can't tell you how many times, you know, living in Fairfield County, people say, hey, let's take or before COVID, obviously, would say, hey, let's take the train into the city. Right. You know, 
and if, and if there was that ability in the Northeast to get to other mid-sized cities, you know, people, people would, especially young people would love that. Um, so another one of your uh, fellow mayors, um, Marty Walsh, is in the administration as well. Yeah. Um, talk a bit about that. I know you did some events with him. Um, talk a bit about uh, what, what you think he's going to bring to the table. Well, I, I think Marty Marty has been a great mayor, and uh, and I think it's always good to have. I say this obviously with a little bit of bias, but I think it's always good to have somebody who's got that experience where the rubber meets the road when it comes to public policy. And I don't think there's any position uh, where uh, the rubber meets the road more than than mayor. So I'm I'm thrilled to see he's in there. And uh, as we work for the COVID recovery, uh, I think that. There's a, there's going to be a ton uh, that he can do from the from the Department mm -hmm. of Labor to help make sure that that recovery is inclusive, uh, to help make sure that we are uh, creating more opportunity, and um, you know I think that in so many ways this pandemic has has shown or has um, uh, made more acute the the serious uh, economic disparities, the fact that you know we. We have not seen real income growth for so much of the country for so long. And I think that the Department of Labor uh, has a real opportunity to be part of that. So I, I'm thrilled that somebody with Marty's experience and also somebody with Marty's heart is in that role. Yeah. You used the phrase, you know, mayors know where the rubber meets the road. We had, we had Ben Florsheim on this show a few months ago. Um, and you know, he talked about that too, about how, you know, mayors really do perhaps more than any other elected official um, have a really different experience set. Has that been something you've, uh, learned and, and, and would agree with as someone who'd been at the governor's office, someone who'd been in the federal government, uh, what, what do you think being a mayor gives to somebody who's going to a position like Secretary of Labor or, Secretary, or any of the cabinet secretaries? Or, um... You know, in the, it, it's funny because my path is sort of the reverse of what a lot of paths are. I mean, starting at the federal level and going yeah. to state and then going local. But um, at the at, certainly at the federal level, you have the ability to influence policy on such a vast scale and to affect so many lives. But your experience of the, the problems you're trying to solve and the, your experience of uh, the policies that you're trying to enact is 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 remote. You know, it's, you're, you're doing it at a distance. Uh, to some extent, that's even true at the state level. At the local level, it's not. I mean, you're, you are confronted with the challenges you're trying to face in a very immediate and unavoidable way and in a very personal way. And similarly, you know, you feel your own successes and you also see, feel your own failures uh, that much more immediately and that much more deeply. Um, and, uh, and, and so to me, you know, it, it, is, it is a really tough job, uh, but it, it's also uh, just a, a, an incredible job because you're able to tackle things. And if you get it right, you're able to see the difference. And if you don't get it right, you can't persuade yourself you did because right, right. the evidence is right there in front of you. Huh, well, that's, uh, that's certainly right. Um, I wonder if we could change topics a bit and talk about police reform because your city has been at the fore of the conversation in the state of Connecticut about police reform. What have you been doing on that front and what do you still have to do as it relates to police reform and racial justice? Well, we've done a lot of things and we have a lot more to do. Uh, one of the things that we've done is we enacted uh, what is, I, I think, one of the most uh, progressive uh, civilian oversight regimes uh, here, here in Hartford. We, we had a civilian police review board that had been in existence for a couple of decades. 
but it had a it had a lot of uh, of weaknesses, and among those, is that it didn't really have any any real teeth. It was largely advisory. And we um, just a couple months ago, uh, in partnership with the community, with a lot of stakeholder involvement, we passed a uh, an ordinance that that gives it more teeth, that creates uh, an independent uh, inspector general position that uh, is responsible for uh, for managing the process of the investigations. And then it has the ability to challenge and uh, ultimately overturn the decisions of a police chief. And so uh, that's one of the pieces, accountabilities and, and civilian oversight, I think is a critical part of any, uh, any, any reform effort. Another thing that we're working on now is the establishment of a, a, a civilian crisis response team. Uh, and what that mm -hmm. means is building the uh, capacity to have trained civilians respond to certain types of calls, uh, you know, for example, calls dealing with uh, emotional distress, an emotionally disturbed person, um, uh, some calls involving mental health challenges where there's no immediate threat to life and safety. You know, this is one of those issues where, um, you know, somebody, somebody like Bob Stefanowski says, oh, you're going to start throwing, you know, sending social workers to do the job. Please. Right, right, no, right. but there's a lot of uh, situations where we actually ask police to do the job of social workers. Right. And that's not fair to anybody, including our police. So we're working to build that capacity. Now we set funding aside for a four year period to be able to build and scale that up. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things uh, that we're working on, but those are a couple. Great. Great. Um, so finally here on the sort of lighter note than that, um, I want to talk about uh, your sort of practical advice, right? I'm not from the Hartford area. I imagine a lot of the listeners aren't from the Hartford area. Uh, when we're able to go out and, and eat and, and see friends and, and be with folks again, um, what are sort of the, if someone came up to you and said, Mayor, I'm coming to Hartford this weekend. Uh, I want to maybe catch a sporting event. I want to go to a restaurant. I want to experience the culture. What are some of the places that you would uh, recommend that they go? Oh man. I mean, you're going to get me in trouble if I start uh, recommending one <laughs> restaurant or another, but look, I mean, if, if these things come back this summer, and I hope they do, uh, go to a yard goats game. Uh, it's, it's a blast. Go to a, a yard goats game and then go get some, you know, go get a, a, a beer and see some comedy, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, at, uh, at City Steam or go down and, and grab a drink at Vaughn's or go down and have an amazing meal at any of the many restaurants that, that we've got. Uh, go down to Coltsville, which is an area that we've revitalized over the last few years, uh, where we now have, uh, it's now home to uh, both a, uh, a professional soccer team, the USL uh, Hartford Athletic, uh, and also uh, to, uh, the, um, to a brewery down there. Uh, you know, go over to Parkville, which is a neighborhood that is really uh, been experiencing such an exciting organic growth and transformation and go check out the Parkville market where there are you know dozens yeah. of local food vendors making kick-ass food and uh, you know when you can go there with friends and sit inside or outside it's just a great atmosphere uh, and there too then after that you can walk up the road and uh, you know pick a day when you got the no good market going on where there's food trucks and music uh, outside of the brewery on Bartholomew Ave there's there's a ton going on in the city and again what's so frustrating about this past year is that uh, in the months before this, and especially the summer uh, before this, um, I think so many people were rediscovering their their cabins. Mm -hmm. And obviously so many Hartford residents enjoying it, but so many people just from around the state re rediscovering everything the city has. And I can't wait to get back to being able to encourage people to get together and do all the things that make uh, living in a city great. Yep. 
Right. So yeah, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm excited about it too. Um, I, you know, again, not growing up in the area, didn't really think much of Hartford until the last few years when I would really see on social media and, and from you and from others, you know, people really hyping it up and I'm, I'm excited to get back to it. I want to end on a very serious note by asking you about your future plans and what you plan to do over the next couple of years. So I'll just go right ahead and ask it. Uh, when can we expect the next independently produced record uh, from <laughs> Luke Bronin? I don't know. I, I will admit that I've, uh, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of songwriting for the, during this pandemic, I've done a little bit of songwriting for the first time in about 20 years. Unfortunately, I think they all uh, are pretty bad. So I'm going to have to get a lot better before anyone's going to hear them. <laughs> Yeah, I say that as a as a guitar player and as someone who's who's curious about uh, maybe maybe you and the governor could could form a band or something you know, in, your, in your free time. Thanks so much for having me on, Michael. It's great to yeah. be on with you, and uh, I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. So there you have it, Dave. You can expect a lot from Luke Bronin over the next few years, including maybe some new independently produced music, which I can actually uh, strongly recommend that you all go listen to it. I'm sure it's available on uh, YouTube or Spotify or something. <laughs> Wait, is that competition for us? Is that competition for our podcast on Spotify? Are we competing for clicks with Luke Bronin? I think we might be. So if you're out you know, taking your daily walk or working out or something, you, you now have the choice to listen to either the Connecticut Rats podcast or Luke Bronin's sort of folk country rock <laughs> i don't know if you'd want to really want to work out to that type of music i don't know if you'd really want to work out to our interviews either but um, probably the, true, probably the true. choices are out there for you uh so as the year progresses there are going to be municipal candidates all over the state coming to your attention coming to our attention and someone who uh showed up on our radar early was veronica delandro and i hope you enjoyed that chat with her the situation with the common council there in new britain was an absolute shame but now she's exploring a run for mayor so fantastic and as the year progresses these municipal elections we're gonna just keep uh letting you know they are critical 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 for one thing it's your bench it's the it's the people who become who seek higher office who go right on up. to bigger right things etc but also, honestly, the brass tacks of what life is like day in, day out in your city, whether it comes to tax rates or how the schools are run or, or um, uh, you know. Whether or not you safety. get dug out of the snowstorm today. Whether or not you got dug out of this snowstorm. It all comes down to your municipal leadership and those things are critically important. It's also a great chance to get involved if you're interested in politics. Those local races are always looking for people. And uh, as the year progresses, we'll let you know more and more about the races in your town. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, to these you know folks, I think we can use Veronica's story of, you know, coming out of a pretty uh, messy situation and making something really good out of it. Let's let's have that be our theme for for this year, both on the podcast and in everyone's in everyone's life. So, Dave, I'm looking forward to 2021. Uh, more episodes. I uh, had a good time doing this one this week, and we will see all of you or hear all of you next week or whenever we come back uh, for our next episode of Kineticrats, the CT Democrats podcast.